0: we have a bonus point going here for a bonus mark, either team, who said this?
1: There are so many who use you to get publicity. That ugly bastard, Rory McGrath. (laughs) And you can print that, cos that's putting it mildly. Every week he rips us to pieces. I am serious about what I do. I can sing, I can write songs, and I work bloody hard at it. Whereas Rory McGrath is just a prick. (laughs)
0: Rory? Barbara Cartland's <laughs> last words. They were.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, yep. I...
0: Posh Spice. Posh Spice. You get a bonus point for that. Can I just say how upset I was <laughs> by that? In Puzz. fact, I've been so upset, Posh, since you said that that I haven't been able to eat. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, I think she's... I think she's... It's like when kids at playground, you know, they, and you throw stones at the girl you like. I think she fancies you. Yeah, I think you. so, yeah. I Definitely, when someone calls you an ugly bastard and a prick, I think, like, hello. <laughs> <laughs> you mean, like, move over, David. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Pod, starting 2024 with a guest who, as you heard, Victoria Beckham probably fancies. Uh, so my guest, and by the way, that's the first and no doubt the last time that Victoria Beckham will get mentioned on GoonPod. Uh, Irene Handel, sure. Uh, Hilda Baker, of course. Rita Webb, indubitably. Uh, but the Beckham, nah. As um, so I say my guest is Rory McGrath. And Rory was a an incredibly warm and entertaining chap to spend an hour or so nattering away to. Um, he's a big fan of the Goons, but you know we focused a lot on his career and some of those he's worked with in a career spanning nearly fifty years. Uh, one thing before we kick off: um, now this podcast doesn't tend to shy away from robust language, um, but we don't necessarily make it a, a feature. I suspect that uh, there may be some sections of the listenership who don't think that uh, a lot of swearing is big or clever. Uh, I may be wrong I just I just wanted to point out that uh, Rory enjoys the odd <laughs> swear word um, and, and peppering his chat with uh, a little bit of Anglo-Saxon um, and the the only reason I bring it up is that uh, he does at one point, Talk about uh, an encounter that he had with Frankie Howard, um, which is pretty hair-raising, and possibly could offend a few listeners. Uh, it's around the forty-seven minute mark. Um, I don't want to come across as that guy, but I felt I ought to include this little caution right at the outset, just in case um, people don't want to hear that sort of thing. Anyway, here is Rory. Welcome to Goon Pod, Rory. Thank you. Uh, thank it's you very an honour.
0: Uh, the, the Goons. I don't know if you know this, but um, the Goons alone were the were, the, were the, the Goons show was the program that got me interested in comedy and writing comedy. Brilliant. I mean, I hadn't it, it hadn't crossed my mind that I would do that, and uh, I was at a, a school in Cornwall, um, sort of very out of the way place. actually a town called Redruth, which is a, a really amazing place to live in, in the 1890s. But unfortunately, I was born in 1956, So, and things had moved backwards, I think, since then. (laughs) But anyway, um, I I was friends with this guy called uh, Bob Pugh, who's actually now called Bob Sinfield. He changed his name, and he's he's a presenter on, a jazz presenter, and he's an actor. Very funny bloke, first bloke I ever wrote a sketch with. And he bought this record that's a, a piece of vinyl you know what a record it is mm-hmm. you know i know you're younger than me but i bet you know what a record is oh yes uh, you know and it was called it was two goon shows one was called the china story and one was called the mccreaky rising of 54 can't fit or something 74. 74. well done mm. um and i listened to this absolutely and i never heard anything like this before this was it was chaos. It was and it, it anarchic. And then now listening back, it, it sounds tame and silly. But the energy of it and the sort of violence of it and the verbal trickery was 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 really. It sounded shocking. I said, "God!" It, it, even when I listen to it now, I'm thinking, "My God, this is unbroadcastable. It's so rude." But it actually don't actually say anything rude. It's all implication. But I remember. You know did you um? That, what you know, the
1: McRicky Rising episode. Yeah. Did you did you notice anything particularly unusual about that particular episode, the McRicky one?
0: Um, I can't remember if I did no,
1: because uh, that because uh, I always think that was a ridiculous episode to put on an LP because Spike wasn't there.
0: Peter was doing Spike's voices as well as the- right now. I never knew that. that's a great good
2: knowledge, Tyler. Good knowledge, oh. man. <laughs> <laughs> I die like a doll, I'm alive. I die, I'm alive. I die, I'm Oh, look at that naughty little fuse. Oh, look at that naughty little fuse. I will light that naughty little fuse on the cannon. Light up the naughty fuse. Oh. No, am not
1: a line. I'm not a line. I'm not a line. I'm not what that, like you say, that just in- encouraged you to pick
0: up a pen. Well, I mean, they would, like that. Well, then I knew that he said that they were actually being replayed on radio, so I listened to every, every you know, it was, it was this has been what, when this be 1960, how old would I have been then? So about 66, 65, 66. They're going out, being repeated on Radio 4, or I don't think, don't think it was the home service, I think it was Radio 4 by then. Um, and I listened to them all. I, really, I remember listening to them my parents didn't like me listening to it for some reason. I used to listen to it on the radio under my bedclothes, you know. I mean, what innocence, what innocent days when, you know, you, you listen to the radio under your um, bedclothes. Hey,
1: you're, you're in good company because your, your good friend Peter Cook did exactly the same thing at Radley when he? He, un, under the bedclothes he would listen to The Goon Show uh, when it was being put out originally. You know, but, wow, yeah, that's,
0: that's incredible. incredible. Oh, I'm and, touched by that because, uh, as you know, I did know Peter really well. And uh, I, mean, I, did, I don't think we ever discussed that. That's the funny thing. But the, Peter Cook, the, the, he has the same sort of, had the same sort of e- energetic anarchy. There was something, you know, always slightly dangerous. And you know, what's he going to say next? You know, or what we and, and you know, listen to what well, Derek and Clive was obviously deliberately crude, but even, you know, the, you know, um, his characters in, in um, not only, but also very dangerous, edgy, sort of surreal sort of thing. And I, I think the Goon Show, um, Peter Cook, and uh, they're, they're sort of, Monty Python, when that came along, was very much the, um, was in the same ilk. I think you're probably fed up with hearing this because everyone must say this, but the same sort of, chaotic anarchy and sort of slight edginess you know uh, of the of, of multi python which, it was exactly what the goon show was like so i actually started on the goon show and then the same friend bob or bob pew as he was uh said well if you like this you should listen to a radio program called i'm sorry i read that again mm. which i hadn't heard of so yeah. i started listening to that and i thought this is this is great because this is like a modern sort of sketchy version of of the goon show the goon show purported to have a you know a, a weekly story as you know as rambling and chaotic as it was but this is radio sketch and i thought this is fantastic this this is great you know and then um then i found round the horn which was also being repeated because that had been on earlier and so the goon show i'm sorry that again and round the horn um, influenced me so much. I mean, I, d- I did love th- 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 there's something about the way I think, particularly Graham Garden. I think he wrote uh, G- Garden Oddie, I think, wrote most of them. Um, very similar verbal, sort of verbal trickery that Milligan was so good at. I,
1: I think Graham Garden. <clears throat> I always say this on this podcast whenever Graham Garden comes up, I always say he was the funniest one
0: of that group. I think, yeah, I'm i sure. think he's
1: funnier than Cleese. Actually,
0: you no, know, I think he's very good. And he was, he did, I remember him de- doing a few. He's still with us, Graham. Yeah. Isn't he? Yes, and, yeah.
2: Yeah.
0: Um, if they all I know who died, Tim Brooke Taylor Tim. died recently, didn't he? And yes, and Graham Chapman, who was in, uh, who did a few, I'm sorry, didn't he? I think he did. And you worked with, I'm gonna, I was gonna talk about this later, but you'd with Tim
1: and Graham on um, Black Cinderella 2 Goes East. <laughs>
0: Produced, <laughs> yeah, the radio pantomime It was it, it was normally a foot, an ex footlights pantomime anyone involved in footlights which meant we had um we had peter cook and i think rob buckman i think were playing the ugly sisters i can't remember but we that was um timbrook i was no timbrook was timbrook taylor might be been an ugly sisters well, i know that bill orally didn't like it because we kept referring to them as timothea and gardenia I think the sisters were and and billotti the character was called and billotti <laughs> and and he he got very grumpy about that you know, because... well Tim, Tim used to do I would I would imagine Tim would have been one of
1: the ugly sisters because he always did that lady Constance voice Pardon? didn't he,
0: he well, yes that's right yeah, he
1: was that yeah. just quickly just go back to Peter cook and we'll probably talk about him again later but just on the goons and, and his relationship with the goons um you say you never discussed in your yeah, you, know, you can't remember ever talking about the goons. I
0: remember ever talking
1: about that? He, when he was still at school in the fifties, he sent a kind of a proto or a sort of a pseudo goon show script into the BBC. Okay, really. And it, and somehow or other it landed on Spike Milligan's desk, and although I think he wrote a polite letter, sort of politely declining it for for use, if you know what I mean. He invited Peter for lunch, and it would have been 1957. So young Peter Cook went and had lunch with Spike Milligan. Uh,
0: And wouldn't you have loved to have been there? That's a great story, yeah, that's very interesting. I I worked, I was on a, I was on a show, a weird show that David Frost was doing, it was awful. Um, Can you believe that? I think it was going out (laughs) simultaneously live in Australia and Britain, I can't remember what it was, well, we were doing a sketch on it, and me and I think it might have been me and Jimmy Mulville might have been doing a sketch on it, and Spike Milligan was on it, interviewing, and he was sort of, I was sort of walking up and down the corridor outside the studio trying to learn my lines, and um, Spike walked past and said, <laughs> "I thought this is amazing," and I, cause I was going, which I thought was great coming from him, you know, the famously neurotic <laughs> warrior. Yeah. That was, it was all like, that was my entire, you know, you know, afterwards I thought, well, I must I must go and speak to Spike, but he disappeared after his interview. And so by the time we'd done our stuff, he had gone, but I, you know, that's one of those moments you think, damn, if only. Yeah.
1: It's interesting. I noticed you, so you said the goons and you said, <clears throat> I'm sorry. And you said, um, round the horn with big influences. What about Hancock?
0: Yeah, I like Hancock. I mean, it's interesting that Hancock. Hancock is, is was funny. A, the radio show was great. I liked it. And he was sort of a distillation he, that, of, of that sort of Englishman and that, in, the, in those days. You know, that sort of bluff, a bit like Mannering. And he's sort of incompetent but pompous. You know, uh, and I love the writing that that was um, Gotland Simpson, wasn't I? I wrote yeah. that, I presume, um, and. It was that, was, that was very different. He was an influence in, in, in I liked him, I don't want to say it's influenced me, but that writing was, you know, and you see it in Step 2 and Son as well, that sort of real, it's as real as it could be, you know, um, very boring, mundane situations uh, and with, with funny character with sort of, engaging or not laughable characters in um but you should say that because when i first got into the idea that i wanted to write so you know i wrote a sketch for the school review um well, you know having absorbed all these influences and I started watching television differently. Like we'd watch, uh, I'd start watching it, and I'd want the, the first credit I would see was who wrote it. You know, you know, I was just say, so, oh, it's Goldman and Simpson, or Wolf and Chesney, or Esmond and Larby, or all those, you know, famous names yep. from that time. You know, and. Uh, that that was what was obsessing me. So look and then you know, so Golden Simpson wrote that and wrote that, and Wolf and Chesney wrote that and that, you know, and Esmond and Larby wrote that, and you and you saw these names, you know, coming up all the time. And I uh, and I thought oh, that awesome. so actually I assumed that you had to write in a partnership. And I did most of my sketch writing with with somebody else, you know, Jimmy Melville, Offnor, Clive Anderson, Martin Bergman later. Um and, and the thing about Going back to um Bob Sinfield and I'm sorry that again and I said to Bob, I said, Look, who are these people? You know, I've never, you know, they're not they're not sort of comedians like you'd see on, you know, you know, tell me a joke or the comedians that stand they're not they are sort of the something quite you know, he said, Oh, they're all um graduates from Cambridge. Uh, they're in the footlights. And I said, you know, we are living in Cornwall in the eighteen nineties, I know the nineteen fifties as it was. <laughs> um you don't know, I said, well, what's Footlights? Oh, it's Footlights, it's a, it's a comedy club uh, in Cambridge. And I thought, wow, that's interesting. And, and in my naivety, well, for a I thought Cambridge must be in London because when you live in Cornwall, you think anything beyond Plymouth is in London. You know, so I said, like, oh, that, you know. So um, I remember looking on the map and thought, God, Cambridge is, it's not, It's it's it's, it's well outside London. You know, it's amazing. But in my naivety, I thought, What you needed to do to do that sort of work was to um, go to Cambridge and join Mm -hmm. Footlights. Um, And so I just about scraped the A levels needed, went to um, Cambridge. And I remember the, uh, the, the, I don't know if you know, they have a big fair for the first years, the freshers as they call, when all the societies have their stalls at the Societies Fair. Mm -hmm. And I went straight to the Footlights. And there was a man on the Footlights stall wearing a kilt a sort of thinning blonde bloke who turns out to be Clive Anderson, uh, who was the then president. And he was sort of... Uh, uh, and I said, oh, what do you want? And I said, oh, hello, my name's Roy McGrath, and I'm from uh, Emmanuel a College, and um, uh, I want to be... He said, what do you want to do? He said, I want to be a writer. Clive said, I've just got just the very job for you. Here. And he gave me a piece of paper and a pen. Write your name and the college on that piece of paper, and give it to me, and I'll throw it in the bin that's how it started right. and I thought oh fuck him you know uh, and he's wearing a kilt you know he's obviously not a <laughs> Scotsman so I actually didn't I I went off footlights and in my college there was a I was speaking to some people and they said I oh, so I'm interested in I went to the foot I didn't I'm not really interested in footlights anymore because it, it's obviously run by twats. so hang on uh, so Clive <laughs> Anderson could have prevented you from getting into comedy yeah 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 he regrets he he knows the story well, and he says he regrets that he wasn't harder on me um <laughs> he apologizes to Showbiz, uh and i was these people said to me um in, in asking around college, I said we've got somebody in college who's he's head of the a d c that's the amateur dramatic Club, and he's been in footlights and he he's in all the theater societies and I said, "Who's oh, that he says this guy called Griries Jones and I thought. Oh, I'll go and see him. So I went round, with a friend of mine went, and after formal halls were looking really like pillocks, wearing our gowns and shirt and tie, and knocked on Griff's door, and uh, it's surprising. <laughs> it was nothing like what I expected. He had huge sort of Donovan-type, long black hair, and uh, he was quite short, which surprised me, and had a huge cream, and said, oh, hello, we're here um, to talk about footlights, you know what you know we came in and sat down and uh, i noticed there was an empty whiskey bottle <laughs> lying on the floor and that's a long time ago for griff yeah um, and he said what the fuck do you want to join footlights for what terrible no 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 you're passe you don't and i don't and i think in in that sort in sort of mid 70s punk was taking off and there was a sort of an energy in the youth which wasn't cambridge blokes and stripy blazers and boaters singing songs about you know how you know how bad the labor government is you know things like that yeah. and um so it, it footlights actually for, um sorry i didn't mean to go on about footlights so much but uh it seemed to sort of be in abeyance for a while um it was kept on going by uh chris keekley who was a who was a northern um biochemist uh, from sydney sussex college who just about kept it going and he handed the presidency to uh jimmy mulville who was a, okay. a, a, i i'd got to know through a mutual friend in, in in my college very well and jimmy and i used to hang out all the time and i i, I got on well with him because he was he, he was a, a sort of you know at the risk of being Problematically racist. He was a typical scouser, you know, very, very fast talking, you know, and full of jokes, you know, and always, you know, uh, quite aggressive and, uh, you know, um, you know, very uh, frontal to people. Very, you know, he didn't, you know, very insulting and in a very amusing way. And this, this, this tickled me greatly, you know. You stupid bastard! You got me killed and wrote off an eighty grand Porsche Carrera. You're joking me. Good. Is it happening in slow motion? Mm? like you're bloody driving, hey? Eh? We got on very well, so Footlights was held together by me and Jimmy, and um, uh, we managed to do a review which was directed by Douglas Adams, of all people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was called Kicking the Stalls, I think, which I wrote for. Uh, I wasn't in it, um, but I remember. <laughs> it has been talking about Douglas a lot lately because he's just. there's been a book, uh, I don't know if you've heard of it, called 42, which is a, yes. a, a compilation of yep. of all his stuff. And I remember that in the programme note, he, I, I wrote the programme notes for people you know, who was in it, you know, trying to be funny and who, who'd written it. But Douglas said I wasn't allowed to write my own programme notes as one of the writers, so he said he'd write it. And I remember <laughs> he wrote it's a picture of me looking very hairy and beardy as I was in those days. And Douglas wrote, and on the eighth day, God said, what the fuck? And created Rory McGrath. <laughs> so, which I which I know people, it's, it, it, I'm so, I mean, Douglas went on to be world famous, as you know. And so I've, I'm extremely flattered by that. Uh, I've still got the program somewhere, I think. Sorry, my phone is still, I'll put it on silent. Now. That's all
1: right. I was going to come to this later, but you've mentioned Jimmy Mulville now. And I know that there was a time when you, the two of you were a bit distant, but I, but you've come, come back together in, in recent years. <laughs> we told him we'd come back together.
0: Wow. Now, we had a, we had a falling out, I think is the polite way of putting it. Um, and didn't speak for a long time. And then we both turned 60 and thought, um, let's talk, talk again and uh we we're, no, we're really good friends now i mean it was um you know it's been a joy and uh, we got on exactly the same way obviously our, our lives has gone slightly different ways but uh you no know, it's it's it, it instantly when we decided to you know, we we you know buried the hatchet um and not in each other's heads uh it was it was um it was great joy it was just like it was like rediscovering if you like, Jimmy from for new again, you know, it was just like the old times. And instantly we were taking the piss out of people and, um, and really annoying people and amusing each other at other people's expense in front of them. Uh, and, uh, it, the, 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 the sort of the foot, the, the, the um, impetus for it came on Jimmy's 60th birthday when he got me five he wanted it to be me me clive uh griff peter fincham Mm. um and i thought this would be awkward because it's basically the first time i'd have spoken to jimmy in about 20 years or however many i can't remember how many years was 17 years and um so i said to him i said jim i said listen we need to meet before the dinner because it you know there are two we can't have all those elephants in the room, wandering around at once. We're going to have to get rid of one of them. Uh, So we met in a pub beforehand. He wasn't drinking then. He hasn't drunk for a long time. I was drinking. I have drunk for a long time. and we we just I said you yeah, know I'm sorry to, uh, to do this but I just didn't think given what's happened between us I can't and we had a lovely chat uh, quite emotional I think that's the word of the day isn't it emotional we got emotional yes, yes. Um, we was well emot and uh, we went to the to the um, back to the to the room where the, well we we joined the others in the room where we we're having dinner and it was just hilarious it was you know it in fact it was stopped at one point my Griff, who's the usual butt of our, uh, our jokes. Uh, he suddenly said, fucking hell. I preferred it when they weren't speaking to each other. <laughs> <laughs> A very irritable man, Griff, Griff Rees-Jones. <laughs> he does good irrit- yeah, irritability.
1: He does. <clears throat> I first saw you, again, back to Jimmy. Uh, I've probably, I probably think I would have first seen you on Who Dares Wins. Now i as you may have guessed from my accent, I wasn't born in this country. I'm from New Zealand originally.
0: I thought you're from New Zealand. And in fact, I was going to wait for a bit longer before I said, oh, you're from New Zealand, because I didn't want to do that thing of, of singing. Oh, he's he's definitely Australian or from New Zealand. And I, mean, I I think I can actually hear the difference. And I thought, you know, it's New Zealand. I yeah. I, I normally find that if you, if you go in New Zealand first, that people are happier because if, <laughs> if you're from New Zealand, they like it. And if they're Australian, they're they sort of, well, that's not too bad, you know, it's, uh, you know, but if you do it the other way around, it's worse. It's like calling um, Canadians Americans, you know, if you call I an American I... a Canadian, you know, if you call I... an American a Canadian, they they love it, yeah. but it doesn't work the other way around.
1: I've had South African, I've had all sorts over the years. No, well, yeah. not South African. Uh, <laughs> no, but Who Dares Wins was was a real, I mean, I would. I was a teenager in the 80s. Um, so in 80, when did it start, 84, 85? Yes, about then. So I, I would have been, I would have been about 10, 11, 12, maybe a bit older. And, um, and I absolutely loved it, but I knew, I couldn't, I couldn't watch it when my dad was around, <laughs> you know, because it was a bit, it was a bit naughty. It was a bit crude. He yeah, bonking a lot. I seem to remember. Yeah, bonking was
0: the word at the time. Yeah.
1: My memory is that there was a lot of, opportunities for tony robinson to strip naked
0: well the best tony he was well we worked this sketch which we, which i think we'd originally done on radio on a radio series called injury time mm. for the bbc which jimmy is me jimmy um who came in the girl was it was me jimmy julia hills probably yeah um and bob Bathurst and martin bergman i think God, I can't remember who did in Judah, Jewish... But anyway, we'd written this sketch about two tailors, which now would be uh, would be considered anti-Semitic because it was me and Jimmy playing these two East End Jewish tailors, you know. And uh, I don't think we could do it now. And the idea was that they were the people who'd made the suit for the emperor. And so we need, you know, and we it's easier on radio because um, you say, "Oh, emperor, emperor, the suit is looking lovely. It's looking lovely. Look at oh, look at that." And the emperor saying, mm, do not feels a bit light to me. It's a material, you know." <laughs> and, um, we thought I said to I said to, uh, to, when we we're doing Who dares wins, I said to Andy Hamilton, the producer. I said, we should do that sketch uh, that we did on radio, that, that Emperor's New Clothes sketch, you know, the, the Sturgeon Brothers. And uh, Andy said, well, we're we gonna need someone to take all our clothes, because we, we agreed it would only work. There's no point in pretending. It only worked if someone was happy. And uh, more, uh, dear old Tony, Sir Tony, as we now call him, um, He'd say, "I'm reminding the yeah, it's, uh, it's my, I'm an actor." You know, he was always reminding us he was an actor and we weren't. <laughs> um, and you know, nakedness is just another costume. He said, "It's just another costume," and Blair he did it superbly. He did just walk out stark as in the studio, and uh, of course, the audience. What, the, the sketch always works after that because you can't really. You, you've, you've got off to a very good start, you know.
2: It's a lovely colour. Beautiful colour. Oh, yeah, it's uh, lovely, but uh, pink's a bit summery, isn't it? Well,
0: that's the clever thing, you see. In the winter, it turns blue.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but is it me? It's
0: definitely, definitely you, you, Mr, Mr. Hopkins. Hopkins, yes.
2: I'm not sure my wife will like it, and she's paying for it. Ah, I see. It's, um, it's a birthday suit. Cash! <clears throat> <laughs> visa, Mr. Hopkins. There's
0: a hole in it, look. Ah, that's
2: a button. We do take checks as well. It's got,
1: got a bit of fluff in it.
2: <laughs> <laughs> isn't that always the way? I bet it's blue. Yeah. <laughs> and what's that? What's what? That dangly right. thing down there.
0: That's a piece the, of uh, sartorial whimsy. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it's a bit big, isn't it? I have something similar on one of my suits, yeah. and uh, any smaller they look ridiculous. <laughs> I don't think I like it. I'm
1: sorry. I'll cut it off. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I loved, um, I loved Who deals with I love the theme tune. I, best theme music ever. I, that's the
0: ultimate. Um, yeah, I know Phil Pope wrote that, and uh, my who I've worked with a lot uh, yeah. musically. Um, you no, know, it's a great tune. You know, it was. It, who dares wins. The three. It, it was going to be a song, but it, the instrumental sounded so good. I think. Yeah. If Phil is too talented. This is my thing about Phil. He's too talented to be successful. I mean, I know he has had, you know, quite, you know, considerable success, but he's too good a musician. He's a brilliant pianist. He's a brilliant singer. He's a brilliant composer. He's a brilliant arranger. He's a fantastic impressionist. He's a really good mimic, and he's a great actor. You know, but yeah, I think just one of them. I said, Phil, choose one of those things, and you'll be world
1: famous. Yeah, well, not not well enough known. You know, the the, the public at large think if they think of Who Dares Wins, or if they think of um, even Chelmsford One Two Three, they think of you and Jimmy. They don't necessarily think of Philip Pope.
0: Do you know what? When, when I did I did a musical tour with Phil, we were just going out, just the two of us with our guitars, singing my uh, obscene songs. Um, the, what what people know him mostly as the guy um, in Only Fools and Horses. Yes, yeah. Sing yeah. The, the the Tony Tony Rome. What's he called, it? Like, Tony Romero or something. Something like that. Yes. And if, it, it 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 can't pronounce his arse. You know, it, he's also people, he has to sing people... Rose Rosemary is the song he has to sing, and he can't pronounce his arse. Lose, I also know him from um uh Blackadder's Christmas. Yeah, character. he played. Did he play Leonardo da Vinci
1: or something? Uh, ah, well, actually, he. So he was in Blackadder's Christmas Carol as Lord Nelson. It's possible, yeah. And he was also in Blackadder Two as um Leonardo Acropolis. Uh, 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 right, yeah, yes. Yeah. I am a yeah. genius. <laughs> well, the most famous portrait painter in England. Mr. Leonardo Acropolis. <laughs> right,
2: are you any good? No, I am a genius. <laughs> well, you better be, or you're dead.
0: One of the funniest things I've ever, the most crazy things I've done. Um, but uh, this, this is a, this was a lovely, lovely event. Uh, I, um, I was doing this radio show um, about about languages about minority languages because um, i you know i'm very interested in languages did languages at uni etc uh, and uh, it was ostensibly about cornish which is a, a nearly dead language well mm. it is virtually dead it's um, in comatose language i think it is and th- th- this radio producer wanted to do a program about minority languages so languages which are threatened or minority like Breton in France and, um, uh, Faroese Fero- or Frisian, uh, all these, or Samian, all these sort of U- European languages, which are just clinging on. Mm. Um, and while I was doing this, the producer had come across this event called the Suns Europe. I can't remember what Sun stands for, but it's the Eurovision song contest for minority languages. And mm-hmm. so he said, "Wouldn't it be a great addition to the program, which is only half-hour radio documentary, if you wrote a, cor- a song in Cornish, or you wrote a song had it translated in Cornish, and we get you into this thing?" And I, I had a, had an old song, line quite a serious song, quite a, a pretty tune, apparently, uh, which I had translated into Cornish uh, by um, by some uh, this professor um, they found in Cornwall, and I said to Phil. Phil, do you you want to come to Udine for a long weekend? It's north Italy, just north of Venice, Uh, where they speak Friulian, is their minority language, um, which is not Italian, very similar, not Venetian, which is also different from Italian, but not Friulian. So, uh, and he said, why? So we're, we're taking part in the minority languages Eurovision Song Contest, and we're singing with a Cornish entry. And so, <laughs> I, so Phil, my Phil and myself, Phil was playing keyboards and uh, recorder, not at the same time. And we had a girl who was production assistant playing cello, and me on the guitar. And we sang this this song, um, which came respectable. About half, I think we were about fifth out of ten people, yeah, but. It was a huge audience, about four thousand people in this huge concert hall in Udine. It's the biggest, biggest crowd I ever had. They're coming on, singing this 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 callish song. You know, it's the most surreal thing ever. And uh, and of course, no one would have known who you and Phil were. I guess, exactly. You no, know um, they didn't. They had no clue. So, um, and it was peculiar. So we were uh, the Russian judge, bless her, gave us full marks. She said, you know, they, they marked you out. of, each one out of 10 and the only 10 we got was from the Russian judge who said, I thought this song was very beautiful, but you know, it was too short. Uh, we will need more, more music from you. It's a beautiful song, but too short. Otherwise you are a win I thought, I'm, I'll take that yeah. to my grave. Brilliant. I've done lots of peculiar things, you know, which I've got to, to do, you know, from being on, I mainly for who dares, not who dares wins. Yes. Um, and they think it's all over which which was ludicrously because it was the the first sports program which was taking the piss out of sports programs it was enormously it took off in a way that none of us predicted and it's been you know followed
1: can i yeah i'll be honest with you i I, i'm not a sporty person i'm from new zealand but i'm not interested in sport i don't even follow football or cricket or rugby or anything like that okay so I used to, you know, because in the '90s, you you couldn't move for comedy panel shows on TV, could you? But yeah. There were the ones that so there were loads that of nearly ran's, but there were the there was a sort of the three or four that survived. There was there was the, they they think it's all over. There was obviously, I think the one that sparked it off, uh Have I got news for you, uh, Buzzcocks? Uh, oh, Buzzcocks! Maybe yeah. others, but 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 so I never really because I'm I'm really not into sport. I never really watched uh they think it's all over
0: but yeah i mean you were huge i mean your profile was huge back then in, well, maybe, that, yeah. sure. in fact you know I, I i didn't take it very seriously that i mean it's, and uh, i think that's i didn't really sort of um you know, you know when they, they say you know if the door opens for you you know keep your foot in it <laughs> so yeah. I was because i think i think the most famous i've felt if that's if that's a True thing was when we toured Who Dares Wins, we did two uh, UK tours with the stage show based on all the best bits, including Tony coming on stage naked. Um, and that was, you know, I was talking to Julia Hills about it the other day, and she said it was like being rock stars because, and then people knew the, everyone knew the sketches you know the panda sketches and you know yep. uh the emperor's new clothes sketch. They, they they almost they just couldn't wait to the here now everybody knew the words except for tony robinson of course who could never remember any of them but yeah <laughs> um would they think uh they think it's all over
1: i seem to remember there was some kind of was there some mild controversy when
0: lee hurst left like do you know what i can't remember what um, I don't know why Lee left. I, I think it was, um, I think he got fed up with it. Uh, I don't, I don't think he was, he wasn't pushed as far as I can remember. Um, there may have been a quite hard to work with. Uh, I mean, I, we got on very well, but and I, you know, we were on the same side, as it were. Um, but I, production people say he was quite exacting to work for. He like he likes to do things his way you know do you still keep in contact i haven't seen him i saw him last year it was earlier on this year we did a celebrity um pointless was it pointless yeah yeah celebrity pointless um which we came second in you know Anyway, okay. but no, he's great. He's I like he—he he a, a one-off. Lee, I tell you what, he's a, as a stand-up, he is—he's he's so unlike any other stand-up you you see nowadays. You know, because to my mind, stand-up's got very predictable and it's strangely safe. You know, I, I'm not shocked by anything stand-up say, and I want to be shocked. I want them to say something I hadn't thought of or something that hasn't been said. But there seems to be a sort of—I um, don't know how what you'd call it. Um, but there seems to be a risk aversion with comedy nowadays, that people are too frightened. And apart from the usual, quite safe targets, you know, it seems to be, um, yes, I think safe. And I don't I don't think, I, I always wanted uh, comedy to be offensive, but now giving offence is, you know, well, should I say taking offence is a sort of national pastime that uh, it's very hard for, for comedians to, you know, to say, because some of the things we did on Who Dares Wins, or you know, uh, it, it, some of the things we said on, on they think it's all over. It, it was, um, you know outrageous, and you just couldn't. I'd like you know, feel a sportsman, and it's you know, a, a, a woman in the bikini, and you know, it's it's just the idea of two men with blindfolds on, you know, trying to guess the identity of you know a woman, a, yeah. um, a pom pom girl. You know, it, it, I don't think it would. Um, I don't think it would. It would. It We'd it manage it nowadays. You know, to go back to the goons. That's what I, when I heard the Goon Show first, I thought I was hearing violence, obscenity, chaos, and you know, and sort of sedition. That's what it felt like. Even though, if you examine the individual words, it, there was just something about it which said, "This is crazy," you know, "This is dangerous." And but it's probably to our to our sort of modern ear, it's quite twee in a way there's a there's a there's a tradition in writing for radio because they were uh which has gone right through to the present day because i'm still i still keep in touch with a lot of the writers who do i'm sorry i haven't a clue which is you know which is a sort of an, yeah. a, that sort of it's a sort of national institution in a way, that, I'm sorry, I'll read that again, never was, you know, so I'm, I'm sorry, and people don't know really why it's called I'm Sorry. When it first took off, when it was Humphrey Littleton and they were allowed to talk about Samantha, you know, it was, it, I mean, it's a highly, intensely scripted show, but but that doesn't come across um, because, you know, of the guests, but uh, because Barry Cryer was on, one of my heroes. Yes. Uh, Barry Cryer, I, I think Barry Cryer, um, is he's one of those people I've been talking about Peter Cook and, and anarchists in Barry Cry. even though he you know he, he was a you know uh, a sort of gag slave to every show you know if, if you needed a good comic head on it he got Barry Cry in because he knew every joke in the world but he was also very anarchic he just he and you know, he, he did know every joke in the world Barry and uh, he, he was uh, with, similar to Peter Cook. He was loved by the young people, people coming into the. Even though Barry Cryer was an old man, he he actually he he clicked with young people, as did Peter Cook all the time. You know, because he there was something a bit sort of timeless and ageless, and and st- still anarchic about uh, Barry Cryer. Uh, I remember. You know, and I was, you know, in a pub with him once, and said, you know, Barry, it, you know, when when I was a little boy, you know, looking at comedy on television, I'd see your name. You're a script editor, a script writer. You're on Joker's Wild, you know, telling gags. You know, it's and it's smoking, yeah. smoking in. Yeah, cigarette. that's right. He did smoke. Yeah, he did he smoke, did smoke it. all the time. He said, um, he said, oh no, Roy, no, not me. No, he see, what you don't realise, Roy, is they put me on any old show. You see, and. Uh, I'm basically crap. You know, I'm crap. Mister Crap. That's what that's what I call myself. I'm Mr. Crap because I do any old crap, you know? And I thought, well, that's a, I think you're putting yourself down there. And, uh, he'd just be about a year later. I was, uh, he, he'd just been, he'd been at some ceremony. I only not an award. He might even got an OB or something. I can't remember what it was, but he was coming back to the offices where we worked and we were going to the pub and, uh, he, he was, you know, quite chuffed to have got this award, whatever it was. And I, he came in the pub, and I said to him, "Mr. Crap, what can I get you to drink?" And he said, "It's Lord Crap to you." <laughs> 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 it was excellent. To hear. Yeah.
2: Putney Bridge. Mm.
0: Cleveland Street.
2: Harrow and Wheelston.
1: Angel. Pimlico
0: Ooh. Uh, congestion charge? Yeah, yeah, Pimlico. No, 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 no. it's only In just you know, outside. Yes, right? yes. Yeah, yeah, but it was the new yeah.
2: standard Livingston rules forfeit, forfeit. Yeah. Yes, yeah. Who said it anyway? Barry.
1: It sounded Barry very like it. Barry. Yeah. Barry said it.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, it wasn't. <laughs> Barry, you in a forfeit. It's like the Dreyfus case all over again. This is terrible. <laughs> you incur a You got off that Will time, you... didn't you? <laughs> you see that, you see... You see that uh, bottle of water in front of you? Will you take a large swig out of it? Oh, no.
2: <laughs> oh!
0: <laughs> I often wondered what it tasted like.
1: Uh, David Quantic. Described Barry Cryer as being, he said he was unique in that he wasn't f- frightened of the younger comics
0: like so mm-hmm. many of his generation. Maybe that's what it is, yeah. He embraced that, you know, he liked seeing new comics and they liked seeing it. Yeah. No, he's he, very,
1: very funny. Did he ever tell you that story, Barry Cryer? Did he ever tell you that story about when he spoke to Marilyn Monroe? Mm. It was in the 50s. It was when she was... Was she in the UK filming The Prince and the Showgirl, I think, with Laurence Olivier? And Barry had some job in a film production office or something like that, and he was manning the phones, and she phoned up to speak to somebody in the office, and Barry took the call, and the guy that she wanted to speak to wasn't, wasn't available immediately, so Barry had to sort of do small talk with her for about three minutes on the phone, um,
0: and he, he was dining out in that story up to the day he died. I think I know the first, I know he was, he tells a story about, um, the first time he worked in, I think it was probably Yorkshire television or something. Cause he's from Leeds, isn't he? Um, mm-hmm. he was, he was filling in during the recording breaks of a chat show and Noel Coward was the, uh, guest and, you know, he, he was always talking about that meeting Noel Coward in his early days. You know, Barry was great and full of anecdotes, of course. When I was uh, when I first started working with Frankie Howard, um, it was my first professional job out of university, actually. I got a job at the BBC as a house writer, which meant you had to write for any shows that were going. And the first thing that was coming up, you know, mm. was the Frankie Howard variety show, which is, a, you know, it, as it was a variety of comedians, uh, singers, bands, you know, uh, and what well, links from, from, so Frank Hound monologue to kick it off and then links all the way through and an ending monologue. And it was a baptism of fire in many ways because he was quite a difficult man to work, very suspicious of new people. You know, he, 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 but, but he hated Galtman Simpson when he, they used to write for him, they said, they some decent writers, these two will get nowhere. And then when we joined me and Jimmy and Clive and Griff, he was asking, well, we need Dalton Simpson, you know, not these young people. They're rubbish. <laughs> did he chase you around his dressing room at all? Yeah, and he, he did invite me. I went to um, uh This story is in the public domain, so I don't think. Uh, he he rang me up in the office and said, I'm not happy about the script. I said, what do you mean, Frank? The script, I'm not happy about it. I need to speak to you about it. And I thought, this is odd, because we hadn't actually sent him the script for that week, you know. And I said, We haven't actually sent you the script yet because we haven't finished it. And me and Jimmy are in the office going, He said, No, 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 no! I don't mean that script. I mean, I want to talk to you about the way the show is going. And I thought, Oh, fucking hell. I said, Well, we're only in Broadcasting House, and he was in somewhere in Mayfair. I said, Well, come around. No, 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 don't run, Jimmy. Just you. And I thought, Oh, actually, I didn't think, Oh, fuck, what does this mean? I thought, Okay. And Jimmy was delighted. He said, Yeah, great, you go, you know. And then he locked me in this room. He, he locked the office door, Robert Stigwood's office, it was. Um, he worked for Robert Stigwood organization in the... I don't know what happened to Robert Stigwood. He was big briefly, wasn't he? He was the biggest Frankie thing in was, was. Frankie was in the Robert Stigwood production
1: or produced um, film, Pe- Sergeant Pepper. Yeah. Sergeant Pepper's film.
0: Yeah. Was it was abysmal. It was a, it was a point, wasn't it? I mean, yeah. and you're looking at one of the biggest Beatles fans in the world, and that was yeah. just... Yeah. bafflingly bad was not it you think how could if they tried to make it bad it wouldn't have been as bad as that <laughs> anyway so frankie howard back to cut a long story short um offered me a, a vodka and tonic you know and it's about two o'clock in the afternoon and i thought oh this is good you know and he gave me a bottle of vodka but a bottle of smyrna unopened and a, and a bottle of tonic of, you in know, a tonic water there you and i said he said, what's wrong with that? You did some vodka and tonic. I said, yeah, yeah, I did. <laughs> and that's a bottle of vodka. And that's a tonic water. And I said, if you got need a, a glass or? You said, yeah, yeah, you know, you know, i said, do everything. I As well, I don't mind opening it, you know, but yeah, I need a bottle opener, you know. So I poured myself this vodka. <laughs> a tiny bit of tonic in it. And I was drinking this, thinking, this is great. And I was looking out onto Bruton. Is it Bruton Street or... Bond Street, some one of those flash places in uh, in Mayfair, and I'm thinking, look, watching these people go past, and here I am in Robert Stigler's office with a uh, with a quintuple vodka and tonic, uh, and these people are just going about their lives. And as I was looking at, Frankie said, well, "You should be doing this for me," and I turned around and he had his dick out and was playing with himself, and I thought. No, you're right, Frank. Uh, <laughs> you carry on. So now I'm back. And I just didn't know what to do. And I thought, I think it was quite, looking back, I think it was quite frightened, even though it's become such a, a comic, you know, every time I tell this story, it, gets, it becomes a sort of comic more like I tell it to my wife who was in, you know, who's in, it was in social work and and child protection, you know, yeah. who says, this is nowadays, you know, he'd be in jail and you would be in counseling and, you know, <laughs> yeah. he would you'd be given to yeah. You know, any anyway, about the, you know, I thought he's just a filthy old man and, um, but I remember looking out the window and said, no, Frank, you carry on. I'll let me know when you finish. He said, come on, you want to help me. i will be quicker. And I thought, oh, the people walking past and I'm thinking, how do what mind do I do now to get this you Frankie Howard household me up on and everything. He's having a wink behind me. Can, can, I don't know. I can't, <laughs> that is an unmimable right, thing. Um, those,
1: those, um... American POWs in Vietnam blinking out messages to the folks
0: back home. Nice. They oh, that yeah, that's a great. I never thought about that. <laughs> I don't think. I think. I would think. But the point about this story is, that I was, you know, and he's Frankie, was. I said, oh, I'm sorry about. It. I don't. I'm just being very depressed lately. You know. But yeah, all right. I just couldn't wait to get out, and I didn't want to tell anyone because I felt quite ashamed. Being a good Catholic boy, I thought it was my fault, and I'd done something very bad. You know and I because it did cross my mind, I just smashed the bottle of vodka over his head. Because, but then you think the story comes out, you know, uh, national treasure Frankie Howard attacked by gay, drunken scriptwriter, you know, <laughs> rent boy. Um, we had great, I mean, after that, we had, I think, I hate to use the uh expression, the that cleared the air, you know. Because, that probably isn't the right expression, but um mm-hmm. we got on very, and we just took the piss out of him. Then, you know, I remember he, he took um, he took me and Jimmy out to uh, a restaurant once after the show, and it was the White Elephant Club. It's a big club owned by um, Ray Ellington of ah. the Goon Show. Oh, he was okay. his club. Yeah, yeah, and Ray Ellington had his band was the, the house band, and met him And that was great for me because I thought oh, this is Ray Ellington. There used to be this, you know, really r- now racist jokes about me, and I, I was chuffed by this, you know, uh, and uh, I thought, God, this is great. Uh, but Frankie, Frankie called me and Jimmy pseudo bohemians. So you're not, you, you think you're bohemians, but you're not enough, you know. You're not proper bohemians, you're pseudo bohemians. That's why you pretend you're bohemian, but you're not, you're pseudo bohemians. <laughs> and we thought that'd be if we, ever, if we ever made a rock band, we'd call ourselves the pseudo bohemians. <laughs> that's a great rock band, you know, it's heavy metal, isn't it? Um, so and we said, well, we didn't realize, have a clue what he was talking about, but he said, Here's a bet for you, snog each other. And I said, what do you mean, snog each other? Don, you think you're so daring and clever, snog gone snog each other, and this is in the mid- middle of a very crowded yeah. restaurant. And I looked at Jimmy, and I could tell in Jimmy's eyes that yeah, we're going to do this. <laughs> so me and Jimmy had this huge tonguey snog. <laughs> he was absolutely terrified. He's looking. I think I don't want this to get out. Is Jimmy not want the very I was disappointed actually. Jimmy's kissing. Uh, did he get beard rash? i just don't know it was uh i think jimmy used to smoke cigars in those days so you know she doesn't anymore but uh i think yeah no so sorry we seem to have gone off at weird tangents <laughs> yeah well right again with jimmy charmsford
1: one two three just want to mention that because i went to live i lived with my uncle for a couple of years in the early 90s and um I don't think Chelmsford 123 made it as far as New Zealand, but when I came over to Belfast to live with my uncle, um, he my uncle was, you know, he's quite old. He was, you know, in his 60s or whatever back then. But he had this real love of um, what I would call comedy that you wouldn't expect a 60-something man to, <laughs> to enjoy. He loved alternative comedy and he loved... Yeah, excellent. Comedy, like he loved. I mean, he loved Blackadder, which is fine. You know, it's quite mainstream, but still. Yeah. But he had stuff recorded, all sorts of stuff recorded that you just wouldn't expect, you know. And um, he he had um, uh, all of Chums for one, two, three, and that's where I first saw it, and uh, yeah, wow. really enjoyed it. And I know that you, because one of my previous guests on this has been Barnaby Eaton Jones, and I know he's yeah. been involved in uh, bringing oh, it back. Thick
0: oh dear but yes they seek him here they seek him there <laughs> yeah barnaby's great he's been great he's done a couple of podcasts with us actually don't know what happened to them but i had to rewrite it for him he probably told you this that you know i he wanted to do it as a podcast and i i've jimmy said oh that's great yeah rory can rewrite it uh you know for for the for we can't call it radio because podcasts as you know are not radio they're audio so i thought and I thought, yeah, I don't mind doing that. I'd be a good fun because, um, you know, I had all the scripts and I had all the recordings. So, but boy, what a difficult, I thought it was so visual. It was like we'd deliberately gone as visual as we could. And, and I'm, you know, I'm my, my, going back to the influences of I'm Sorry and The Goon Show, I suddenly was writing this radio show and that and I really enjoyed it it was very hard work um but I think the result was very good and it but it it, it was nice to be back you know writing verbal stuff you know and little and it, yeah you know, and putting new gags in it was really and without Jimmy there saying I oh, no, don't do that <laughs> it was great
1: <laughs> and of course I guess you would because Howard
0: lou lewis would have died by then so he you, wouldn't you he sadly go. yeah we couldn't um his part was done by barnaby jones in fact oh yeah there we go and um we, and he he also did wolfbane the welsh alchemist uh which had been played by jeffrey mcgiven brilliantly on telly i thought he was very funny which he, he did it Welsh for some reason uh, i don't know why Jeff did it that way. He just turned up for the, re- you know, for, for the read-through and did it. And so he said, like, that's all, oh, this is the most deadly potion. And they just say, so yeah, leave it like that. Right, Wolfbane, this is what I want. Woad. Your best purple woad and plenty of it. I want to strike the fear of God into these people. And I want the jawbone of a huge wolf open with its fangs showing for me to wear around my neck as I charge into battle. Oh, yeah. I want a shield, a big shield, with a human skull nailed to it, still dripping with blood. (laughs) No honeysuckle bath oil, then. Pardon? Honeysuckle bath oil soaks away those unwanted aches and pains. (laughs) I do not want any bath oil, all right? Acorn flapjacks?
2: <laughs> what?
0: A nutty little snack. Just give us what we asked for, you snot faced Silurian. <laughs> and who the hell do you think you are? They call me Mungo the Forgetful. Why is that? Why is what? <laughs> we met Neil Pearson, who played Mungo. Um, and somebody said, oh, there's this new actor, he's very young, but he's, you know, he's making a bit of a stir on the West or whatever he was doing, called Neil Pearson. And. Uh, with IB, you know, get him to read for Mungo. And so we had all the Mungo scenes, they're mainly with me, Bad Rock. And so we got Neil, he came in and he looked, you know, it's very sort of not cocky, but, you know, self, very polite, self assured. And I said to him, No, Neil, we can do, we have to do all these scenes, but we'll do a few, um, you know, so I'm going to give you these. And if you want to go away for half an hour, uh, into the into the green room whatever, uh go through it. And, you know. And he said, no, 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 I don't want to do that. And I said, Oh right. Do you want to read through them first? He says, no, no, no. I said, oh well it's you know it's 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 bit, it's the character sort of this cheeky smart ass chap. Yeah, 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 I'd be fine. And I thought, oh and I thought well, Jim and I looked at each other and think, oh fucking hell, you know, who is who does this guy think he is? And so we did every scene And he was just absolutely perfect. It was like, and he had it it was unseen. He hadn't written, He had there's no way he could have seen before. Yeah, yeah. And the timing was brilliant. The accent was right. Understood me, and you know, played around a bit with the character. And we said, if you want it, it's yours, mate. And that was it. That was the shortest audition I think I've ever been involved in. And that was before Drop the Dead Donkey, wasn't it for him? Oh yeah, yeah, exactly. Because they're, they're um, I mean, yeah. Well, uh, he's a s- such a reliable actor, Neil. A very interesting bloke as well. He's a very amusing and very learned bloke. He's into uh, into rare books he's making his money out of now. Oh uh, yes. Yeah, I've read that somewhere. Yes. Oh. Michael Bolland, who's head of channel f- comedy at Channel 4, he wanted us to come after Who Dares Wins. He said he wants you to he wanted us, to, us me and Jimmy, to come up with a, a sitcom, and uh, we had three ideas. Uh, I, I can't remember what the first one was. That's one we liked best. I can't remember what the second one was. That was the one I liked second best. And we also had half a page of of notes about. The roman occupation of britain like a sitcom britain versus you know which classic sort of you know yeah. tough yeah working class uh thing and um and we were going to have griff and mel in it uh, uh, mel playing bad Rock and griff playing the rome yeah. and it was written it was written with those in mind so okay. jimmy's character alice Polinus would have been Griff, and mine would have been Mel. which is why when i do bedrock i was always, always try to do it like mel smith would have done it you know okay. like it's you that know, you know that's that's why I just that's why I decided to do it like that and we took it to to Bolland and he hated the first idea but no let's do not like that I, I can see how it could work but you know I was Scottish the way. just don't tell you that in case you' watching thank you I'm wondering why I was doing that actually no, it is not very good. and, I, and the second one I, said, I think no I don't like this one uh, what's the other one you've got and we weren't going to show him this. I said, "Oh, it's this idea we've got uh, for Griffin Mel. Um, uh, it's basically a, a sort of traditional sitcom, but it's set in Roman Britain uh, about the, you know, the, the tensions uh, between the occupying Romans and the and the and the Britons." Well, that's a great idea. I love that. I said one thing I don't like about it though. I said, "What's that? I don't want Griffin Mel in it." I said, oh, "Why not?" I said, "Oh, that's BBC." I don't want. I know you, you and Jimmy, you you do it. So that was it. Brilliant. <laughs> it mm. Doesn't happen like that anymore.
1: Um, it's it's ten years, isn't it, since Mel died?
2: Yeah, mm. really.
1: Yeah, and I love Elasmith and Jones, and I know you wrote quite a bit. Can you remember any particular sketches that you wrote?
0: Yeah, I we 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 started writing the. Um, what we call a head to heads, me and Clive, you know. And yeah. uh, Griff hates me telling this story, but um, when we, well, it was me and Clive or me and Jimmy or a combination, you know, Griff had the idea that he wanted, you know, just two thick people, you know. But basically, it was done on the week ending, um, written by Andy Hamilton and Guy Jenkins. They, they had these two sort of cockney geezers making sort of silly things about, you know, air bed the world was and all these immigrants and you know it was just like two thick working people we commenting on the days new and griff thought he'd sort of adapt that to sort of to and he had the idea that it should be i mean griff did have the idea that it should be a locked off a massively close up showing showing their you know their, their handsomeness in all its glory and um so jim and i started or maybe it's me and clive i can't remember i think jimmy came in later we used to do it. A says this, B says that, uh, A says that, you know, so it's A, B, A, B, A, B, all that. Um, and uh, when we came to sort of read through, um, Griff said, who's, who's A and who's B? And we thought, I was like, you do A, Griff, you know? And it just worked out that if Griff was always doing A, we'd write it in a, in a certain way, knowing it was him. But originally it was just, he says that the other person says this, you know, in the, or oh, well, they could swap them around, it doesn't matter. And then we started to say, well, actually, we might as well put G and M, you know, G for Griff, M for, you know, yeah. doesn't make any difference, but we'll do that. So this went on and then Griff said, um, sorry, Roy, I can't, I can't say this, this line. It's just, my character wouldn't say it. Yeah. And it was the first time we thought we'd heard they had characters, you know, because <laughs> to us it was all, you say you know, A, B, A, B, M, G, M, G. And so that, that that made us think that maybe there was more to this, you know. And we actually then did sort of develop it, and the characters did become more rounded because originally it was just, you know, feed line, punch line, punch line, feed line. You know? Mal,
1: Mal was slightly more intelligent than than Griff in those head to heads. Slightly. It's what
0: you think, don't you? That's what Griff is saying. The subtle thing, Tyler, that you put your finger on. That's what people, people think he's the ever one, but in a sort of. in a sort of sneaky seditious way, I am the clever one. (laughs) We say, yeah, Griff, yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. You're right, mate. You're right.
1: They were compared, those head-to-heads were compared at the time to Pete and Dud.
0: routine. I mean, it's very similar. I mean, those, Pete and Dud pre, you know, before Derek and Clive and after Derek and Clive. uh, Yeah, very similar. I mean, and that's a lovely, I mean, that two people talking to each other in a sort of surreal, stupid way. Yeah, that's going to be Pete and Dud. So I love the I love the comparison. I mean, I mean, I have worked very hard at my look. Have yeah. you? Know? yeah. Because oh, yeah. 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 you see, I think if you put enough effort into it, I think then what happens is that is that your clothes say something about you. Do you know what I
1: mean? Mate. Like, here comes a scruffy bastard. <laughs> um, in three men in a boat, obviously you were reunited with Griff
0: and yeah, it's oh. first time we worked together on the same side of the camera. Oh, was that? Oh. Yeah. And Griff was very, uh, I don't think he enjoyed it that much uh, not having me cause he was so used to me, you know, well, he knows that, you know, me, me, and, me and Clive taking the piss out of him cause he didn't know whether he wanted that on camera. Uh, but they, they had this idea where I was doing this thing called grumpy old men with a, mm-hmm. with a company called Liberty Bell. And they had the idea they do reenact the three men in the boat and, uh, Stuart, um, Stuart, who's <laughs> the producer said, we've got, we want to use this Irish comedian called Dara O'Brien in something. And we've thought, wouldn't it be great to do three men in the boat? And I said, well, yeah, but who, who's, who are the other two? And he said, well, I thought you would be one Roy and then you and, and Dara and we'd get another person. I said, well, I, would never heard of Dara Breen. um, got to know him very well, obviously. Um, and he said, and they said to me, do you know anyone who knows anything about boats?'" And I said, well, <laughs> the obvious person would be Griff, you know, he's, a he's, he's into sailing, he's into yacht racing. He's, he's a qualifier. he's done whatever he, he needs to do to be a, a, you know, a, yeah. Whatever they call a ship, ship master or master mayor, I'm one of those. Um, and they said, oh, do you think he'd do it? And uh, I, I said, I'll ring him up. And he said to me, Roy, do we do we want to be on screen together, you and me? I don't think we do, do we, you know? And I said, Well, you know, I, I don't don't I tend not to turn down any job offers. <laughs> um, and uh, He's, so i assumed he didn't want to do it and then i said okay griff i'll i'll, I'll ring up the producer and uh say you're not keen so i didn't say i wasn't keen <laughs> i just haven't decided yet yeah and so we did it and that was i mean that that used the success of that was baffling to us all because when we saw the first episode um go out, we went round to the producer's, uh, the director's house in, in Richmond, nice little flat it was, we'd started in Richmond and he lived there, so it seemed apposite that we should go there and we watched the an uncut, you know, a, a rough cut of the, of the programme and with all the production team and there's me and Dara and Griff sitting at the back of the room, you know, two of us drinking, one of us not drinking, and people were giggling and laughing and, and you know, and Griff, me and Dara sat there stony faced. You know, and about five minutes or the end. Griff turned to me and said, "If this goes out, we're finished." <laughs> and yet, when it went out, it got such a huge. Uh, we we were just, you know, Dara couldn't believe it. People, Dara's used to complain that you know he'd done so much on telly, uh, you know, and he's you know subsequently he's still doing, and people still come up to him and say, "You're the bloke off Three Men in a Boat," and he yeah. sort of he can't stand it. I, w- I just wanted
1: to f- I, w- I wanted to just finish off if you don't mind just quick yeah. question really because we've, we've we've skated around the goons and and we talked about Spike of course but I just w- I meant to ask you at the beginning you know were you a fan of Sellers as well? It's for
0: me this I mean it's a good question the Sellers of the Goon Show is a different is a different animal almost mm. does that make sense you know it's yeah. just you know. I, I can separate them and say, "Oh, he's not the real Peter Sellers." Though having said that, he was in a he, he was in a, what's that film he was in called? It was at the wrong arm of the law or two way yeah. stretch when he plays, which he was excellent. He played well, I can't remember. He plays this sort of spivvy Perley French. Gates. Gates. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, mm. he was. Uh, you know stuff, don't you, Tony? You know stuff. <laughs> um, yeah, no, he was good in that. But I just I think I think it's probably Clouseau. and that's a weird film he did about the American president. I think it's the being there film I'm thinking of. Do you remember that? Being there. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Which I was, a, it's a weird film. It didn't really work for me. It didn't quite, it didn't quite Like I couldn't buy it at all. No, I'm not you a know. big fan. I'm not a big fan, no. but uh, um, okay,
1: well, listen, you've got guests. I, I better let you go, Rory. Thank you so much. I'm sorry, I hope
0: you don't think I'm rushing off because I've really enjoyed talking to you and there's loads of stuff. I mean we could do this once a week and we would still not run out yeah. of you know. i'll take you up on that
1: <laughs> and i'd like to maybe speak to you again in the future if that's all right sometime we could talk Absolutely. yeah
0: now I've, I've, I've got a big long list of stuff to bring up and i don't think we've done a, 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 even a quarter of it thanks again to rory
1: so um that's it now folks for a month or two maybe yeah maybe two months something like that I'm going to take a break, as I've been warning, uh, as I've been promising, uh, leading up to now. So I'm looking at probably returning in the spring, March sometime, uh, with a new slew, a whole new slew of of uh, uh, episodes, um, and get back, back on track, uh, you know, talk about goon shows, films, that sort of thing. Um, but also uh, um, I'm planning on having some really, really special guests. I mean, I've had some wonderful guests in the last, well since Pop began, but in the last year alone we've had some wonderful, wonderful guests Um, and if any of you are listening I just want to, you know, thank you so much from the bottom of my heart Uh, Oh, I'm getting all sentimental now but um, you know, you know who you are Um, I'll keep people posted on movements via social media Um, and uh, until then um, I'd I'd, I'd like to play out this episode actually um, with, uh, earlier Rory was talking about the song in Cornish that he and Phil Pope came up with, and um, and he sent me it. It's, it's lovely, lovely, haunting, lilting melody. I'm going to try and pronounce it. Um, apologies to any native Cornish speakers. I don't think there's many of you out there. Uh, it is Kernau tervans and have in sitter. Whew. Anyway, here it is. And um, till we meet again,
2: ta-ra San straight a race, the pub and j'sole Ragmed in his grace, Ogin scusa don, a drogu quarry Aolo metra ometra off the cruise, gone out tower, him towel, I'm gonna sum our cues, soul, a nebran kill ruth, a drogo quari diawl Gor bas and moral. As for his, he a truth in the care a glebe's you grace, a clever's war in a fin of praise, had his a garstin' more sombre's. geher aus aus agar pla sendi west hast astio man 담데 wer so den straßen die faren kummen die welse len maß misfatal in war kam am poken meslna gas hat denn